Greetings, nature lovers. You're tuned in to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart. Uh, we have a very interesting guest today, and uh, I'm also proud to call him a friend of mine. Uh, have you ever imagined a food garden that you only had to plant once in your lifetime? It takes up very little space, and it'll provide food for you and your family, gosh, for maybe the next 25 or 30 years. It can grow five times more food per square foot than traditional or commercial gardens, and where you and you never have to weed it, you never have to fertilize it, and uh, or use pesticides, and uh, and the whole garden is pretty much disguised like uh, overgrown underbrush, so that uh, your neighbors and anyone else walking by really wouldn't know that you're growing uh, growing food in there. Uh, if you're interested in this, our guest today is going to talk to you about that. His name is uh, Mr. Rick Austin. Rick is also known as a survivalist gardener. Uh, and he has um, uh, really developed uh, quite a following out there. Rick has written a number of uh, number of books. He's also uh, known as a uh, preparedness expert, homesteading, and uh, off-grid living uh, expert as well. And, and his book, Secret Garden of Survival, How to Grow a Camouflaged Food Forest, is now the number one selling book in garden design. Uh, Rick is also the author of The Secret Gardener, Guard, greenhouse of survival. I'll get it right in a minute. And uh, how to build the ultimate homestead and prepper greenhouse. Uh, Rick has also been featured on National Geographic Channel's Doomsday Castle, the Doomsday Prepper, as well as the documentary film Beyond Off Grid. And he has been in Mother Earth News a couple of times. Rick, welcome to Nature's Edge, my friend. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. Uh, Rick, I guess we might as well just, just jump into this a little bit so uh, people kind of get a feel for what this is all about. But, but how did you learn about uh, this process of, of, of growing food this way? Well, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I, um, I used to be a traditional apple farmer. I had apple orchards where I had uh, rows and rows of trees, you know, just like every other apple farmer out there with their branches touching and grass growing in between. And, you know, I spent uh, a fortune in pesticide and fertilizer. I had to use pesticide every 10 days and after every rain. And uh, little did I know at the time that the grass sucked up the same nutrients that the apple trees needed. That it and, does. And um, it just was uh, one of those things where, you know, I, you know, I, I, I did this, and I, um, I still had, for all that expense and all that energy and all that work, I still had scabby, wormy apples, just like every other apple farmer out there. So, you know, I, I knew there had to be a better way, and I spent a lot of time studying nature. I did a lot of research, uh, you know, 30 years of trial and error, and, um, you know, I, I, I did a lot to, uh, to study um native indigenous people all over the world and how they harvested their fruit and nuts and, you know, how they live sustainably. And, uh, you know, what I found was, um, was really a much better way. And I, you know, I know we'll get into that in a minute, but, uh, you know, I've also been a survivalist and a so-called prepper long before they coined the terms. I, I grew up in New Hampshire. I had to live through New Hampshire winters where, you know, you could lose power for uh, a week at a time due to a blizzard or an ice storm. And you learned how to, you know, cook with wood, heat your home with wood, how to store your food outside in the snow because uh, you didn't want it inside because it would go bad. 
And then I lived um, kind of on the other side of the world, really. Um, I lived in Florida for a number of years in the hurricane and lightning capital of the world. And, um, you know, you, I, we, we would, again, lose power for a week at a time due to a due to a storm or a hurricane. And, um, you know, now you're in a whole different scenario because you're, uh, you're in 90-plus degrees and 90% humidity. And um, just having to deal with all that kind of stuff uh, really gave me a good background into uh, preparedness and, um, you know, taking care of myself and my family uh, no matter what, uh, no matter what the world threw at me. Yeah, that's um, that's important stuff. And and Rick, I know that you uh, you turned about a half acre of a, of a southern slope in North Carolina uh, that was, uh, if I remember, pretty much red clay into uh, into one of these uh, uh, gardens or survival gardens or food forests, as, as you call it. Uh, why why is this important? Why is the secret garden of survival important to people? Well, you know, let's say you survive the so-called end of the world as we know it, and let's say you have enough food stored like most people do and you survive for a year. Um, you know, you have to understand that you've got to have some way for you and your livestock to eat once those food stores run out. And, um, you know, you need to understand that you've got to be able to replenish a year's worth of food storage and then feed yourself each and every year after that. And then you've got to think about how do you keep others from stealing it. So um, in my live presentations, I often show a picture of a traditional row garden. You know, what people think of is a, a garden that's in straight rows with all the, the same kind of vegetables planted in each row. And, and then I show a picture of this food forest that just looks like overgrown underbrush and a bunch of trees. And, uh, you know, I ask them when they're looking at their presentation, which one's a garden? And, you know, people obviously say the the um, the row garden's a garden, but uh, I also uh, asked ask them to think about which one is a bullseye target for you and your family if we ever had a you know, a grid down situation or a disaster where people are out in the street looking for food. And uh, you know, when you realize that if you if you're planting in straight rows and planting in what looks like a traditional garden. Uh, you are making yourself a target for all of those people. So um, this is really a camouflage food forest, and it's a way to uh, grow all the food that you and your family can consume and that you can put up in a year. And uh, ultimately, it grows better. Um, it uh, it works better. You don't have to use fertilizer, don't have to use pesticides, don't have to use mechanized equipment. Um, and um, it's just amazing because when you let nature do what it wants to do, it works. Yeah, it absolutely does. Uh, uh, Rick, like myself, has, uh, as you mentioned earlier, has, has studied indigenous people uh, around the world and, and sort of how they do what they do. And, and I know, Rick, that uh, uh, like myself, you've, you've seen how they grow, uh, grow these gardens uh, sort of in the wild, and, and, uh, and, and it works. Um, what, did, what did you really find out as you studied these, these uh, practices of, of indigenous people? Well, you know, when I really set off to be a, a completely, you know, self-sustaining homesteader, um, I needed to figure out how I was going to store food, how I was going to grow food. Um, you know, it had to go way beyond sort of what uh, the traditional thought of prepping is, which is essentially, you know, buying a lot of stuff from the store and, you know, sticking it in a, in a pantry and, you know, using it if you ever need it. So, you know, I, I wanted to know how people lived off the land for generations without electricity, without refrigeration, without commercial agriculture, and without pesticides and insecticides. 
And um, what I found out was these people lived primarily on perennials, which are plants that grow year after year without replanting, uh, as opposed to annuals, such as your typical grocery store vegetables, you know, crops that you have to replant each year. And uh, aside from living off perennial fruits and nuts, these indigenous people also lived off small animal proteins. So in other words, these people who have survived for generations without the modern-day comforts of consumer society, uh, but doing so by eating fruits and nuts from the land, as well as small animals like rabbits and birds and fish. Um, so in a future world where there was potentially no electricity and no refrigeration and no supermarkets and no seed stores, and, of course, no fertilizers or pesticides, um, you know, it made sense to look at these people who have managed to live successfully for generations without those conveniences. And, um, you know, these people were hunter-gatherers. They, instead of spending their time planting and tending crops, these people spent the majority of their time harvesting their food without all the work that you would typically think of with traditional gardening. So, you know, they didn't plant in rows, they didn't plant year after year, they didn't weed, they didn't use fertilizer, and um, they didn't even water their plants in order for those plants to survive long enough to bear fruit. Yet they managed to survive for hundreds, if not thousands, of years that way. So what I did is I set out to grow my own garden uh, using these concepts, and uh, I've been growing every fruit tree, every berry bush, every herb and nut tree that I'll grow in my region. Rick, I hate to cut you off. We're we're sure. coming up on the end of uh, end of the schedule here, and and uh, uh, Leslie, my producer, is jumping up and down. You're listening to Nature's Edge, and we shall return. Welcome back to Nature's Edge with your humble host, Dale Stewart. We're talking to Mr. Rick Austin today uh, on, on the program. Uh, Rick is known as the survivalist gardener, and uh, he, he has been featured on National Geographic uh, Channel's Doomsday Castle, uh, Doomsday Preppers, and uh, also in a documentary film, Beyond Off-Grid, and, uh, and in Mother's Earth News. And I know Rick also does uh, programs around the country. And, Rick, we were just... Uh, before the break, uh, talking about uh, uh, living uh, living off of perennial fruits and nuts, uh, kind of the way that the indigenous people uh, have done for hundreds of thousands of years. If uh, you want to continue with that line, yeah, sure. Well, you know, when I like I said, when I decided I wanted to live a totally sustainable lifestyle, I, I really looked at what these people did and. You know, when I realized how they were living, I, I basically set out to grow my own garden using those concepts. And, uh, you know, I have been growing every fruit tree, berry bush, herb, nut tree that will grow in my region using these very concepts. And I uh, had absolutely amazing success. Uh, in the first season, we had more food than we could eat. And in a year, we had gone from barren red clay to 12-foot-high blackberries and, uh, you know, uh, now I have agricultural experts coming out to my farm to find out how I do it. Um, you know, as you said, uh, I've done the speaking circuit talking to a lot of people. And, um, you know, we just kind of uh, began to show other preppers and homesteaders how we created this Garden of Eden, uh, which works with nature instead of against it. And, um, you know, provides them with more food and better food than they could ever imagine and less work than any garden um, they've ever planted before. So, um, you know, perhaps most important, all the garden is disguised, like I said, to look like nature, so no one 
you know, no one would ever assume that you had food growing there. How, how old is the garden you have now, uh, Rick? We are we are in our fourth year, I think. And really, really, no major problems. Uh, no ice storms or, or other things that nature could throw at it that have have caused it to um, need to be replanted. We've had, we've uh, haven't had to really replant anything. No, uh, you know, and that's the beauty of the perennial thing. You plant once and harvest for a lifetime. And you know, once you get those kind of plants established, they establish a root system. They are much less susceptible to bad weather. Uh, you know, whether that be droughts or whether that be too much rain or too little rain, uh, too much heat, too cold. Uh, you know, when these things get in the ground and they're established, they can literally weather all of those storms and those up and downs. And, uh, you know, part of the infrastructure of my garden has terraces in it with little berms. And so that helps, uh, you know, keep uh, it's a great place for them to store water. And uh, so, yeah, I haven't really had any problems with it. We did have this really odd winter this year um, where we had uh, a few days that were record low and uh, negative 33 degrees uh, 33 degrees below zero with a wind chill factor and uh, amazingly um, you know I lost a few buds on some fruit that had come out a little early but uh, other than that uh, you know all the trees and all the plants uh, did great and they're doing great now I mean I've got uh, you know this garden is is uh, 15 feet tall in places and uh, you literally can get lost in it so yeah you, you know you said well. yeah you said something earlier uh, uh rick that I, I i often say on this this station it's it is that you work with nature not against it and and right. how important that is i mean it well yeah yeah i mean it, it is it absolutely is i mean nature nature has uh you know she she's designed and does things the way she does and oftentimes uh we as humans look at nature and think we can improve upon it, and uh, uh, that's not always the case, is it? No, no, it, it really isn't. Um, you know, it's, uh, every, I mean, my experience, personal experience, you know, I use so much fertilizer and pesticide and it still didn't work. And, you know, you look at what's going on today with mechanized agriculture and, and the stuff that they're putting in our food and on our food and in the genes of our food, um, it just makes you cringe. And um, the, the great thing about this is when you let nature do what it wants to do, it, it does just fine without man's help. And it has been doing that for millions of years. And when you, when you realize that and sit back and let it do what it wants to do, um, it's just amazing. Just that, amazing. That, that it is. Let, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, uh, about the Garden of Survival or the Secret Garden of Survival, Rick. Uh, Tell the listeners exactly what it is, and, and we'll also discuss what it is not. Sure. Um, well, in essence, it's what some would call permaculture, which is essentially permanent agriculture. You plant once and you harvest for a lifetime. Um, but I really don't like the word permaculture anymore. It's become a marketing term, you know, and, and a lot of people are using it, jump on the bandwagon to make a buck. So it doesn't really mean what you think it does. So, so I coined this term nature culture, uh, which is simply the way nature's been doing things for millions of years. And, you know, you let nature do what it does best, and, you know, as we discussed, man screws it up when he thinks he can do it better. I like so, that. Have you trademarked that term, uh, Rick? Nature culture? Yeah. I, I sure have. Dead gummit. <laughs> I sure have. <laughs> All yeah. right, my friend, um, keep going. <laughs> you know, instead of uh, instead of planting, you know, every year in rows, you plant once, and you create this food forest that provides food year after year. Um, you plant things together, 
that creates a symbiotic relationship. So if you've ever read the book Carrots Love Tomatoes, it's kind of like that, but just on a much, much larger scale. Um, and you find that there are certain types of trees that do well with certain types of, of other bushes and plants. Uh, for example, um, in, in our area, if you, uh, if you plant a black walnut tree and you ask people what grows underneath a black walnut, most people will say, nothing grows under a black walnut. Well, that's because black walnuts put out a, a toxin in the soil because they don't like competition. But if you plant nightshades like peppers, tomatoes, currants, that kind of thing, underneath a black walnut tree, they do really, really well together. So it's, it's understanding those, those symbiotic relationships. Um, you use plants to attract good bugs that will kill the bad bugs that you don't want to have on your other fruit and vegetables. Um, you know, if you plant something like mountain mint, it's got a really high amount of camphor. It's a great attractor of predatory insects like uh, like predatory wasps. It's also great for honeybees. Uh, it actually has a, an oil on it that uh, gets on little honeybees' hair, and they take it back to the hive, and, and that oil knocks the varroa mites, which are basically little bloodsuckers that suck the blood out of honeybees. It knocks them right off of them. So, you know, it's great for the bees. Um, it's great for the garden, and, uh, you know, if you do something simple like planting onions or garlic around the base of a tree, mice won't go near that tree in the wintertime and gird it. Um, if you plant daffodils around the drip line of a tree, deer won't go near it because they don't like the smell of daffodils. So um, it's, really a, it's really a neat concept. Like I said, it's the way nature's been growing things for millions of years. Um, instead of rows, you plant in these almost concentric circles, like uh, which, which in permaculture they call guilds. Um, and they're in layers. So, uh, you know, you, you plant a nut tree or fruit tree in the center that grows up. It has a canopy. There's shade underneath it. Certain types of plants like to grow in that shade. Uh, then around that, you've got full sun, and that's where you put your shrubs, like your berry bushes, the blueberries, blackberries, elderberries, that kind of thing. And then around that layer, you've got your herb layer, which is a little bit shorter, um, and that's where you put your cooking herbs and your, your medicinal herbs. And then around that, you've got your ground covers, uh, which are everything from buckwheat, which you can eat, to um, you know clover, um, and then you've got a, a a vine layer as well. Um, so you're really growing in three dimensions, um, and ultimately you can grow, you know, five times more food in that same space. And it's it's camouflage because everything just kind of grows together and, and intermingles. Yeah, that um, that's, that's pretty amazing stuff. I, I was going to say so. It, it looks like the the secret to this, or one of the secrets, uh, Rick, is is really understanding uh, what plants work well together and creating this this symbiotic relationship that you were talking about. Uh, that's correct, and um, you know you just kind of have to observe nature. Uh, I talk a lot about this in my book, Secret Garden Survival, um, but but ultimately this concept works just it, about everywhere. Yeah, uh, um, we're we're. Coming to the end of, uh, of another segment here, uh, Rick. I mean, this is so interesting. I'm letting uh, letting the time even get away from me. But you're listening to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart and my guest, Mr. Rick Austin, the survivalist gardener. And we shall return after these messages.
Welcome back to Nature's Edge. Uh, before we uh, continue our discussion with Rick Austin, the survivalist gardener, I just wanted to remind uh, all my listeners that uh, as our show continues to grow, uh, it is now on TuneIn.com uh, 24-7. You can listen to the show uh, anywhere in the world pretty much that you've uh, got an Internet connection. Just go on there, search for Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, and tune in. Rick, we were talking a little bit about uh, grapes and things that grow on vines and uh, um, uh, how they uh, how they grow uh, naturally up trees and not on man-made trestles. Uh, let's let's continue that discussion if you don't mind. Well, sure. Um, you know, it's it part of understanding how nature does things is is sort of sort of contrary to contemporary thinking. Um, you know, uh, people don't really understand that grapes and vines naturally grow on trees and there are no trellises in nature so um, you know vines grow actually better and grapes grow better actually on trees than they do on trellises Um, you know people have a hard time fathoming that uh, but I've really proved it because I've grown grapes on trellises right next to grapes that are growing on on fruit trees for example and the fruit trees and the grapes both do better together than they do by themselves and in fact uh, the, the grapes that I'm growing on my apple trees, for example, outproduce the grapes on the trellises uh, five to seven times. So I get five to seven times more fruit for grapes that are growing on trees than I do grapes growing on trellises. And the reason that man has grown them on trellises is just makes it easier for mechanized equipment or people to walk down a straight row and pick that way as opposed to having to reach around a tree and you know grab grapes but uh, if you are picking the way that you should and only picking the stuff that's ripe instead of picking you know huge bundles at a time and then ripening them artificially with chemicals and that kind of stuff for the store then um, you know that's the way you want to pick anyway is one one grape at a time or a couple of grapes at a time so um, you know we don't use that kind of row planting um, Everything, as I said before, looks wild and overgrown. It's like the art of camouflage. It all blends in, and um, there's no definable shapes. And, as, you know, things grow better together than they do separately. Yeah, you know, Rick, we've discussed, uh, you know, what the survival garden is. Uh, if you don't mind, tell us what it is not. Let's, we've, got, we've got about six minutes here, and, and I'd really interested in uh, what it is not. Okay. Well, it's, uh, it's not work. All you do is harvest. That's um, a good thing. You know, you don't, you don't weed. Weeds are, you know, I like to say weeds are misunderstood plants. Weeds are pioneer plants. They go in where no one else, nothing else will grow, and they will break up the soil. They'll be able to get, you know, water and air and microorganisms in there that all the other plants need, and they basically are a succession plant. So once weeds are in place, uh, you know, they make the soil better for everything else. So if you've got weeds in your soil, it's because your soil's bad. Um, it's not using pesticide. Um, 90% of the bugs out there are actually good bugs. Uh, when you use pesticide, you kill the good bugs and the soil organisms as well. And when you kill the good bugs, the, the predators, uh, because in nature, as I'm sure you know, there are far fewer predators than there are prey, um, suddenly your prey can multiply exponentially, and then you have an even bigger problem on your hands. So, um, you don't use pesticide, and, you know, where are you going to get it at the, after the end of the world as we know it anyway? Uh, we don't use fertilizer. It uh, basically creates almost like a drug addict of your plants. 
And again, you're not going to be able to get it after the end of the world as we know it. So, um, you know, we don't do any of that stuff. And all we do is harvest once we plant, once you get the infrastructure in place. I literally go around with two or three uh, buckets every single day. And during the harvesting season, all summer long, um, I'm bringing in somewhere between 6 and 12 gallons of fruit every day. That's, and, that's uh, pretty amazing, Rick. It is. It is. And, you know, it gets to a point where, you know, my wife can do, you know, just everything she can to keep up to dehydrating and canning and, you know, doing everything she can to preserve. But some somewhere about the middle of the summer, I start coming up with another three buckets of fruit, and she just looks at me and yells, stop. <laughs> so she just can't keep up. Yeah. So uh, we have we have had to freeze stuff, unfortunately, and put stuff in three freezers uh, so that we can get to it, uh, you know, when things are a little slower um, to be able to preserve them. But uh, just amazing the harvest that we have. And, and, again, it's not any work other than going out for an hour a day in the morning and, and picking stuff off the trees. What about watering, uh, Rick? You, you just let nature do her thing? Well, um, you know, the funny thing is the best place to store water is actually in the ground. That and, it is. Uh, because we we put uh, terraces, um, and uh, we actually are planting this, this secret garden of survival on the side of a hill, which most people wouldn't even think you could use for, for agriculture. And because we, we put these little terraces in uh, with berms on them, water flows downhill, hits the terrace, and then they can't really flow over the little berm, and it just kind of seeps into the soil and creates this underground oval-shaped pool of water, and that's what the plants can feed on uh, when there are droughts. Um, Amazingly, you know, I I sit up on top of a mountain. I can see what my neighbors are doing. And, uh, you know, when we have had uh, three weeks of summer without any water whatsoever, you know, everybody else's gardens are dying, they're turning brown, and ours are still green and lush. Yeah, you're really just, you're, you're really using microclimates, correct? Yep. And what, yep. And what uh, you know, in terms of in terms of microclimates, I mean, we we also do things like, um, you know, when we set up the soil, we had huge rocks that we turned over, and we just left them in place because uh, those rocks heat up during the daytime with the sun's heat, and they give off that heat at night, and that gives us a much longer growing season. So, um, you know, we have had uh, tomatoes that we've been harvesting after Thanksgiving here. Yeah, let's. That's almost unheard of, you know, and, and uh, uh, I know the area you live in, and yeah, yeah, that's getting pretty late in the growing season, isn't it, Rick? Oh, sure, it sure is. <laughs> it sure is. But, you know, because because we've got these little microclimates and because we've got things like those rocks there that are, you know, basically absorb the sun's heat and give it off at night, it, it gives us an earlier growing season and a later growing season, so you don't have to worry about frost and that kind of stuff in the spring and you don't have to worry about it so much in the fall until late in the fall yeah that's uh i mean everything rick has been discussing with us is is great stuff guys and uh we're going to uh we're going to continue some discussions here in a moment uh uh rick we we want to talk certainly about the book and uh in the uh, in the final segment of the program today i want to talk to you a little about some of the uh some of the, some of the different things you talk about in your book, where people can uh, purchase the book. Um, I may even have some specific questions uh, for you um, uh, on some of the chapters that that you write about there uh, in this. Uh, we're talking to Rick Austin. Rick is the survivalist gardener. 
Uh, he has appeared on uh, National Geographic uh, Doomsday Preppers. Uh, he has also uh, uh, appeared on several other uh, National Geographic uh, shows. I've lost all my notes here, Rick. Uh, what are some of the other uh, shows that, that you've been on? Well, I've been on Doomsday Preppers, Doomsday Castle, uh, done a lot of work for National Geographic on their websites. And, yeah. You know, done, done things like that for them, as well as uh, Beyond Off Grid is a documentary and uh, been written up in Mother Earth News. Uh, I actually found it, I've been written up in Mother Earth News three times now. So oh, good deal. Uh, that's, that's great. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that is great. Well, we're talking to Rick. We're going to be back. This is Dale Stewart with Nature's Edge. And I want to remind my listeners one more time that uh, we, are, we are now available on TuneIn.com. You can listen to the program 24-7 worldwide. Just go on TuneIn.com, search for Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, and listen away. We shall return. Welcome back to Nature's Edge. Uh, we're talking with uh, Mr. Rick Austin. Rick is the uh, also known as a survival uh, gardener, and uh, he is the author of The Secret Greenhouse of Survival, How to Build the Ultimate Homestead and Prepper Greenhouse, and he has appeared on uh, a number of National Geographic Channel, Doomsday, Doomsday Castle, Doomsday Prepper. And, Rick, that song we were just playing, uh, that, that might be a prepper uh, anthem there we were, we were playing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. The one, one before it runs through the jungle was good too. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You, you know that's kind of kind of one of my theme songs. Uh, like you, we, we were talking about the book. Uh, t- tell us about the book, Rick, and and some of the different things that that you've written about uh, in, in this best-selling uh, book of yours. Well, sure. Um, you know, I really tried to make this easy for people to understand because I've read permaculture books and texts and you know, 400-plus pages long and just really hard to understand and fathom. So I really tried to make this simple, straightforward, and uh, having been uh, an advertising and media guy in uh, my past life, I realized that people like to look at pictures and read captions, and, uh, you know, that's where they get most of their information. So I really have made this a simple book to read. Um, You know, I I talk about uh, sort of my background uh, I talk about how to start from a clean slate, where you can start with barren existing ground, um, you know, where, where you want to site your garden for the best growth, like southern exposure, and how you can work with the slope. Um, I talk about gray water systems, you know. Um, you can make gray water systems out of something simple as your laundry 
and using that water to water your plants. Um, or you can make a man-made wetland, and I show you how to do that using the gray water from your house so you don't have less waste. Um, I show you how to use uh, swales and uh, irrigation and little microclimates like we talked about. Um, I talk, I show you the different types of permaculture guilds and, and how to plant them, what to plant. Uh, I talk about rainwater collection. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things is most everybody has a roof, um, so uh, most people can collect rain off of their roof, and that's a great way for them to have water for themselves, their animals, and their plants. Um, I talk about a vegetable garden, and we've got this really neat keyhole garden, which is a symbiotic relationship between um, vegetables, your annuals, and uh, herbs, and um, how to do the infrastructure for the garden, how to prepare the ground. I even show you how to dig a hole. Um, you know, the best the best way to uh, you know promote and prepare the ground for microorganisms. Uh, the guy, little guys that are going to help those plants uh, suck up the nutrients that they need, and um, how to plant the, the food forest, and then what to do after you've planted it. How to observe, how to improve it how to find your wet, dry, cold, windy areas and what to do and what to plant there that like that kind of stuff. And then I, I, one of my favorite or one of people's favorite chapters is about natural pest control. You know, how, how, do you, how do you control the deer and the raccoons and the rodents and the fire ants? And, and uh, you know, I've got all kinds of tips that are natural and tricks to be able to do that. And then, you know, what to do through the growing season, um, you know, what to do at the beginning, the middle, and the end. And then I've even got a bonus chapter in there with what to do with the harvest that you get, you know, how to preserve all that food and can it and dehydrate it. So um, really tried to make this book, uh, you know, after years of research and experimentation and firsthand experience, uh, just a, a way that other people can do it too, because that's kind of why I wrote the book. I had so many people who were heard me talk and um, who have seen me, you know, at presentations and just everybody says, oh, you need to write a book about this. So uh, fortunately, I captured everything, you know, in on camera uh, every step of the way when we were doing this garden. So it really made it easy for me to put this thing together step by step. And, uh, you know, I've had one of my friends say that this is, this is almost like a cookbook, you know, step by step by step as to how you can grow your own uh, secret garden of survival. So, Rick, where where can people uh, uh, get a hold of the book, or get a copy of it, or, or purchase it? Well, you can get it uh, on Amazon.com. Um, you can get both the hard copy version, and you can get the uh, electronic Kindle version. You can get it at Barnes and Noble, uh, and you can find out all that information at my website, SecretGardenOfSurvival.com. Uh, so you can find all the links there and everything else. Yeah, and and for for my listeners out there that uh, that also follow me on uh, on the Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart uh, Facebook page, I'll be uh, uh, putting up uh, some other areas that uh, that you can uh, learn about Rick and the Secret Garden uh, and and where you can purchase the book, so you don't have to worry about running and trying to find a pencil to write all this down. Uh, Rick, something else that's, that's coming up in September, which I'm proud to say I'm going to be a part of, actually is. Uh, one of the presenters, and I, I thank you for inviting me to participate, and that is the upcoming Prepper Camp 2014. Uh, you want to talk about that to our listeners a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, as you know, I've been on the speaking circuit talking to people in the preparedness community, trying to help people out, and 
you know, what, what I realized and what uh, a number of uh, my friends who are also preparedness speaker realized is that a lot of these um, preparedness expos are all about the vendors, all about selling stuff, all about trying to sell stuff to people. And what we found is that the people that attend these things are there for knowledge. They want to learn stuff, and that's the reason that they go. Yes, they buy stuff, too, and it's always great to have, you know, toys and canned goods and that kind of stuff, but ultimately they're there to learn. And so we wanted to put together an event that we would want to go to as speakers. So we have made this a total immersion event in preparedness. We have over 30 of the best preparedness speakers that I certainly know and probably the best in the world. Uh, speaking about you know all of their their information, their knowledge, and we've got uh, 48 classes that we are holding in three days. If you want to, you can actually camp there. You don't have to camp there, but you can still attend the event. And this is uh, really, I think, going to be the best preparedness event that we um, that that has been out there um, this year, and and hopefully any year. Hopefully, we'll continue to be able to do this. Uh, and, and it's going to be in September, I think, uh, 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that time frame, Rick? Uh, correct. In, in Western and, North Carolina, in Saluda, and people can find out about it at uh, www.preppercamp.com. Yeah, that uh, www.preppercamp.com. Uh, Rick, I certainly appreciate uh, all the knowledge you you shared with us today and, and appreciate... Uh, what you do, my friend. Uh, is there anything uh, you really want to say to us that, that kind of summarizes what we've been discussing? Well, um, you know, just uh, going back to the book, if, um, you know, just remember that Native Indigenous people around the world, uh, people who've lived off the land for for hundreds, if not thousands of years, have lived this way. And if you want to create your own Garden of Eden that works with nature instead of against it, uh, you know, a garden that provides you with more and better food than you can ever imagine, then just uh, check out my website and uh, check out my book because this is really what it's all about, is helping people to be able to, to feed themselves and do it in a way that's healthy and, uh, and basically everlasting. That it is. We've been talking with Mr. Rick Austin, the survival gardener, and uh, I'm proud to call a friend. And you have been listening to Nature's Edge uh, with Dale Stewart and... Uh, you can uh, uh, listen to us again uh, on the new uh, uh, tunein.com. Well, it's not new, but it's new to us, and uh, I'm proud to say that the show is there uh, 24-7. Uh, you can go search for Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, click on it, and you can listen to, uh, listen to, the, uh, listen to the shows. And uh, send me fin- feedback, guys. Uh, you can always go to... Uh, Go to Nature's Edge with Dale Stewart, the Facebook page, and uh, tell me what you think and tell me what you want to hear. Until the next time, this is Dale, and I will see you in the wild. 